unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And for the listeners who are not watching the YouTube video, you've actually got a spiffy new pinky in the brain brain hat today. Yes, it's brain only. And I have to confess, I'm a month late. I should have done this when I should have worn this when we did the neuroscience and copywriting episode. But today we're going to talk about some of the brainiest stuff some of the brainiest copywriters have ever come up with. So I figured today would be a good day to introduce the brain hat. Nice. Well, I like it. And the listeners will have to find us on YouTube if they want to check it out. But uh, I was looking at today's show notes, and this is a perfect segue because we've got a brainy episode for the listeners today. Well, we do. You know, Nathan, we've had really good responses to the Old Masters series shows. And that's, of course, where we look at one important copywriter from the past. And people were literally falling all over themselves when we brought on Sean Vosler. I understand it's his birthday today, even as we're recording this, a few weeks ago to talk about the founding fathers of copywriter Sean. People were falling all over themselves. We had to send out the special writers unit of Copy Patrol to pick all those people up off the floor. (laughs) But my friend and client Jason Parker made a suggestion that kicks things up a notch even higher. And this involves finding the best single idea from the greatest copywriters over time that we can all use today. I really appreciate Jason's suggestion, and I want to give him a shout out right here and now. I should also say I've spent a lot of time mulling this episode over, and today's show is what I came up with. We're going to look at five keepers. A keeper in this case is an idea that you want to carry with you for the rest of your life because it's that good. Five keepers from five of copywriting's greats. And these range in their origin from the early 1900s to the last 20 years. And we'll dive in shortly, but first, here's a keeper from me. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. The way I chose these five keepers was by asking, what's the one thing that not only worked when the copywriter introduced it, but works just as well today? Also, what's something simple enough that we can talk about it in just a few minutes and everyone will understand it? With one exception, and one of these concepts from Gene Schwartz really takes a while to make it your own. You can understand it right away, and but using it's another story. I included it because it's so important, it's so rarely understood, and it was worth breaking those guidelines of instantly understandable, instantly usable to get you started on it if you don't already know it 
and use it. And besides Gene Schwartz, we have four other copywriters, Claude Hopkins, John Kennedy, Johnny Kennedy, John Caples, and Gary Halbert. With that, let's get started. Keeper number one from Claude Hopkins, build market domination from one powerful point. Copywriters know Claude Hopkins from his book, Scientific Advertising and My Life in Advertising, and some know about famous events he was involved in at Albert Lasker's agency, Lord and Thomas. But I would say the biggest keeper, if I had to pick one, is his ability to rocket a business to the top of the heap so it could dominate its market, and especially the way he did that. He did it a lot. The most famous example was what he did for Schlitz Beer. After touring their brewery in Milwaukee and asking a lot of questions, taking a lot of notes, he came up with this headline, Schlitz Beer Bottles Washed with Live Steam. Before the campaign was launched, the Schlitz executives protested. Every beer maker does that, they said. Yes, but no one else is telling the public, Hopkins replied. And his hunch paid off. Schlitz moved up in the market from number five to number one. Hopkins is most famous for this strategy, but many people have used it since. Now, there's a funny example at the beginning of the opening episode of Mad Men, where Don Draper, and this is supposedly taking place in the early 1960s, comes up with the slogan, It's Toasted for Lucky Strike Cigarettes to set the brand apart from all the other ones, which he explains are not toasted, even though they were, but poisonous. It was great television, but actually Lucky Strike came up with the phrase, it's toasted, about 50 years earlier in 1917 to compete against camel cigarettes. Nevertheless, and poisonous cigarettes notwithstanding, it's a good example. A real-world example from the 1970s is FedEx, which started with the slogan, when it absolutely positively has to be there over time. And FedEx has done so well that I think last year, and please correct me if I'm wrong, FedEx attorneys, they paid no income taxes. Okay, then there's also this marketing urban legend. No one's been able to verify this as far as I can tell, but it does give you another example of one powerful point that would have sold a lot of canned salmon if it had actually happened. The story goes, there was a fishery that got a haul of fresh-caught salmon, but this particular species of salmon, completely healthy, had white flesh instead of pink. So the marketing guy decided to use this slogan for the product on the grocery store shelves, guaranteed not to turn pink in the can. Finding your point of power for marketing positioning requires two things, a lot of research and a lot of time. I guess there's a third thing, some imagination, and it probably won't be the first thing you find or come up with. And when you've amassed all the information, it probably won't come to you all at once. But if you stay with it, if you can come up with a powerful point of differentiation and a great phrase to express it, even if it's only in the public's perception, that can lead to a lot of extra sales. And not by itself, by the way, but with some powerful copy underneath it to bring it all home. The point that you made about Claude Hopkins and the uh, Schlitz malt liquor, this is something I still run into with clients pretty frequently. I'm working on a campaign right now, and it's for a fertilizer slash soil enhancer company. And same thing came up in one of our first meetings. Well, 
all of our competition does this, but nobody knows about it because nobody talks about it. And um, I think business owners sometimes get that knowledge gap where they don't realize they know so much more than their reader does. And they just assume everybody knows it. And taking something like that and just letting people know can be a huge beneficial thing for any campaign. Yeah, I have this weird theory that the greatest fear of most business people is that they'll be boring. And it's not totally wrong, (laughs) but it takes a marketing mind to find a fact that might seem boring and turn it into something exciting and special. And um, that's why the, I've, I've worked with fertilizer companies too. Um, they, it's, it's actually exciting. We wouldn't have the things we grow without their products, but it does sound fertilizer. Really? I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go to keeper number two from John E. Kennedy. Reason why. And this is one of the most t- powerful techniques in all of copywriting. The best copywriters always use it. And sometimes people don't know how to use it or don't even use it at all. And we'll get to what it is and how to use it in a minute. But first, let's take a quick look at the history. In his book, Reason Why Advertising, John E. Kennedy talks about how advertising is salesmanship multiplied. One ad in front of a thousand people, he says, is like a salesperson making 1,000 separate sales calls and sales presentations. And then he writes, and I quote, When we multiply a pretty picture or a catchphrase or the mere name of a firm or the name of an article a thousand times, we have comparatively nothing as a result. But when we multiply 1,000 times a good, strong, clearly expressed reason why a person should buy the article we want to sell, then we have impressed through advertising 1,000 more people with that reason than if, if it had been told verbally to one person by the same salesman. It seems so obvious now, but it wasn't at the time. And if it's so obvious now, why are there so many people who leave this out of their copy altogether? It could be that they simply forgot, or maybe it's not so obvious to them. Even with skilled copywriters, experienced copywriters, sometimes they fall so in love with their offer that the only reason they give and it's usually implied but not stated, is because I said so. Buy this because I said so. Really not a strong sales argument. Now, reason why is closely related to proof, but it's not always. It's usually not the same thing. Here's an easy way to look at three types of reason why. The reason you're offering this, the reason people should buy this, and the reason why you're doing something specific like offering a discount. The more your reasons make sense to your prospect, the better your copy will work. Uh, I think that a lot of times readers or viewers of our VSLs or whatever the case may be, if we don't give them a reason why, they might jump to a conclusion and come up with their own reason why, and it might not be one that benefits us. So they might say, why is this so cheap? Oh, it must because it's it must be because it's crap, or it must be because it's last year's model, or it must be because of all of these of all of these different reasons. And 
so in order to prevent them from jumping to the conclusion that doesn't serve us, just laying out the reason why. The reason why is because the boss is going out of town for the weekend and we get to set the prices. So we want to pay you back for being such loyal customers. Giving them the reason why prevents them from jumping to conclusions about maybe not so beneficial reason that they might come up with in their mind. That's good. That's, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I agree with you 100%. All right, let's go to number three. Keeper number three is from John Capel's Dramatic Personal Storytelling. So when John Caples wrote his famous ad with the headline, they laughed when I sat down at the piano, he was probably not the first person ever to start an ad, really, and to base a whole ad on a story. I don't know of anyone who did it before him, but seeing as humans are storytelling beings, it's highly unlikely that Caples was not the first. However, we still need to give a lot of credit to Caples. He took this kind of story selling to a high art form. And we remember his ad probably more than any other from that early period of the 1920s. One reason the ad worked so well was that it was engaging. Who can't relate to doing something and fearing or even facing ridicule from other people? It's one of the most human universal experiences out there. Everyone has a sense of what it's like, maybe not with the piano, but with trying something that's important to you that you're unsure about yourself. By the way, Caples used another version of the same story for a course teaching French language to Americans with the headline, they grinned when the waiter spoke to me in French, but their laughter changed to amazement at my reply. I'm adding the accent. He didn't put that in his copy. It's the same idea, of course, as the original ad, and the story's just as good or just as corny, depending on how you want to look at it. Ken McCarthy, who we had in this podcast, did some research and found the follow-up letters to people who inquired about the piano course at the American School of Music. The letters were a lot more factual and one logical, one thing in front of the other, and less story-based, more reason why, which is an interesting lesson in itself. You can use a story to get attention and to engage people. But you need other kinds of copy most of the time to actually close the sale. And John Cable's story method has become standard practice for a lot of copywriters. These days in VSLs, copywriters often refer to this kind of story as a nightmare story or discovery story, and they open the script with that story. I would just like to say specifically with the uh, example of, well, the two examples from Caples that you used, what I really like about that method is one sentence tells the entire story. So he's succinct, he gets the point across, and right away you can connect with what's going on. And it doesn't have to be a 15-paragraph story. It's one sentence. Yeah, he was he was very efficient with the words. I think we got a little construction going on outside and we're just going to have to deal with the sound effects. Okay. Um, I agree. All right. Let's go to number four. This is from Gene Schwartz and Breakthrough Advertising. This is the boardroom edition. There's a newer one out I'll tell you about in a second. Um, in his 1966 book, originally Prentice Hall, Breakthrough Advertising, Gene Schwartz introduced so many powerful concepts it can take years to get your mind wrapped around all of them. 
if that is even possible. However, there's one idea worth grabbing right away. A lot of people don't know this or don't follow this, but it's very powerful and not that hard to grasp. The idea is, as I said, um, well, the idea is the five stages of customer awareness. The takeaway from this is you can write, you should write, you do write completely different kinds of copy to a prospect who already knows about you and your product than to someone who's never heard of you or what you sell. And here's a cheat sheet summary of the five stages. And of course, this they know you, they've never heard of you, there are stages in between. Here's a cheat sheet. Number one, the most aware, just name the product, show a picture of it, offer it at a good price, better than the prospect can find anywhere else. That's all you have to do. And often that's all you can do, or you could put a bonus in. Number two, the next level of awareness is the prospect knows about the product, but doesn't want it yet. In this case, Schwartz says, use the name of the product in the headline because they already know about it and say something about it very directly, even blatantly that points out its superiority. Number three, the third level of awareness, your prospect has never heard of your product, but instantly wants what your product does. Here, example, someone is very thirsty. They've never heard of our new branded refreshing drink, Copywriters Podcast Water, for example. For illustration purposes only, we don't actually sell water, but if we did, this would work for the third level of awareness. All you need to do is show the mechanism, like say, you drink copywriters podcast water in a way that cools off your brain as well as slakes your thirst. So not only is your thirst satisfied, but you also have cool thoughts. Now that is one cool mechanism, isn't it? When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. All right. Fourth stage of awareness. And this is where some really virtuoso copywriting would come in handy. Fourth stage, the prospect has a need, but not a desire. Doesn't see the connection between that need and how your product can meet this need. This is really a problem in search of a solution, which is what you want, but it's not as simple to sell the solution as it sounds on the surface. The strategy in short is to name the need, dramatize the need, and show your product as the inevitable solution. Simple, but not always easy. This is pretty much Dan Kennedy's problem agitate solve strategy. 
which works really well for this fourth state of awareness, but not as well for the other ones. And the fifth state of awareness, the least aware. The prospect is not consciously and explicitly admitting their need. They have a need that they're not acknowledging. Simply telling them about the need might not work because there's probably a reason they're suppressing that need. You need to call the market together first, give it an identity, and then sell to the prospect as a member of this group with this particular identity. And I would say this is really hard and very risky to pull off, but the rewards can be immense when you do. So I want to say I couldn't do the five stages of awareness justice if we even if we gave the whole podcast to it, I'm not sure I could do it in a day or a week. And the reason for that is it takes a lot of actual experience in the marketplace, including uh, getting a few bruises and scars and, you know, uh, some wins, some losses. You really have to ground this thing in experience to get how brilliant this is and more important how to use it. Um, but even knowing that there are five stages of customer awareness and how to determine what they are and the overall strategy for selling to prospects in each stage gives you a tremendous head start. To sum up, this is an important, crucially important takeaway from a guy who gave us so many. Cert- certainly worth knowing about and finding out more about. And Brian Kurtz has republished Breakthrough Advertising with slightly different cover, but same content, and it's worth every penny he's charging for it. The link is BreakthroughAdvertisingBook.com, and we'll include that in the show notes. I just want to add one of the things that I've noticed over my career is when sending people to sales pages, a lot of times we'll set up three or four different sales pages. And people who just sat through an hour long VSL will get, or a webinar will get sent to a different sales page than people who are just opening it, opening an email or clicking through from a Facebook ad. People that sit through a webinar, the sales page is usually a lot shorter. It's, it's uh, like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, one of the first two st- stages of awareness Um, people who are clicking through from an email because they just joined our mailing list are going to get a longer sales page depending on, um, the stage of awareness in the content that they're consuming from you. So lining up, which kind of content are they consuming with what type of awareness does that indicate? And then which sales page do we direct them to having that understanding allows you an immense amount of power over their journey and moving them from one step to the next. And I know that back in the day, we used to have the ability to pick different types of lists and our direct response pieces, we could kind of do this. But nowadays with the ability to know where people are at in your, you know, on your journey, on your path, um, we have so much power. So not taking advantage of these five stages of awareness, you're just throwing money out the window. I agree. I agree. Definitely worth learning. And finally, takeaway keeper, keeper number five is from Gary Halbert, and it's the enormous power of conversational copy. Gary Halbert was an enormously powerful copywriter who died in 2007. He wrote some amazing direct mail and print advertising promotions, and he also published a monthly print mailed newsletter that was the go-to resource 
among direct response entrepreneurs and copywriters. And Gary had a style that was pretty unique at the time. Everything he wrote was magnetically conversational. He was probably not the first person to write really conversational copy, but in my opinion, the best of all time and definitely the most influential. I would say as far as copywriting goes, Gary changed the game. He did a lot of things that set the world spinning differently, but I'm going to say his conversational approach to copywriting was the best keeper of all. His newsletter, simply called the Gary Halbert Letter, was unlike anything I'd ever seen. There were urban legends that businesses would close their offices on the day the Gary Halbert Letter arrived in the mail so the owner could read it undisturbed. I know I would stop everything when I got my hands on the latest copy. I've heard that he worked as hard on his newsletter as he did on his sales copy. He had strange work habits, to put it mildly, <laughs> but he was definitely a hard worker. And part of the reason he could write in such an engaging conversational way was that he understood people and human behavior so well. He was one of the world's great practical psychologists. Gary could go into a bar or restaurant with a friend and predict with uncanny accuracy what different people would say or do next, usually without talking to them, just by watching them. He had that knack. In short, I think he had a scary sense of what was going on in other people's minds. A lot of these newsletters, maybe all of them, are free online at thegaryhalbertletter.com, and we'll put that link in the show notes. Actually, one of my favorite books, not just for copywriting, but just one of my favorite books of all time, is The Boron Letters. And it's, it's him writing, it's very conversational in tone, it's him writing to his son, but the weird thing about it is whenever I read it, it feels like I'm having a conversation with him. It feels like he's writing directly to me. And he's one of those rare writers that when you're reading his, whether it's letters that he was writing for, for his son in business and life lessons or uh, his own sales copy or his own uh, um, newsletter that he put out. He has this ability to make you feel like he's speaking exclusively to you when you're reading his writing. And that connection is so powerful and not very many people are able to pull it off the way that he did. But even when he wasn't, I don't think, in, I, I don't know if he ever intended for those letters to be read by anybody other than his son, but even when he wasn't trying to do it, he was able to do it. So he's if I could make any kind of um, recommendation on top of what you said is check out the Boron Letters. It's such an amazing read. Yeah, the Boron Letters is terrific. And his son, Bond, a good friend of mine, has put it up as a book on Amazon. It, it used to be it was very hard to get. And I have a copy somewhere where every all the handwriting is like reproduced. Um, you know, sort of like a photo stat or a photocopy. Um, but yeah, uh, you can get it on, on Amazon, the Boron Letters, B-O-R-O-N, just like the element, Boron. All right, well, uh, let me let me wrap these up. The five keepers from copywriting's greats are, one, from Claude Hopkins, Build Market Domination for One Powerful Point, two, from John E. Kennedy, Reason Why, Three, from John Caples, Dramatic Personal Storytelling. Four, from Gene Schwartz, The Five Stages of Customer Awareness. 
and five from Gary Halbert, the enormous power of conversational copy. I love it. This episode was fantastic, David. Every once in a while, you come with an episode that I feel like, man, this should have been behind a paywall. It should have been like part of a course or something. And uh, that definitely applies to this week's episode. So thank you, first of all, for putting so much work into these. And second of all, as a copywriter myself who enjoys re-listening to these episodes, I just feel like you give so much content away. And this is, uh, this is definitely one of those episodes. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And we may have some stuff behind the paywall, but we're going to keep the level of uh, copywriters podcast for free as, as it is, because everybody deserves it. You, the listener, deserve this for free. All right, man. And if people want to check out more, they can always go to copywriterspodcast.com. Or if you want to check out David's awesome Pinky the Brain hats, find us on YouTube and you can check those out there as well. And until next time, man, we will catch you later. Okay. Catch you later. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe rate and review on your favorite podcast app so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.